Slump Buster Podcast. Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. Kyle, I, I, I can't. You're going to have to tell the people what just happened because I, I'm shook. I'm shooketh right now. You're shook. Okay. Well, I, I got this. So let me just put my uh, my professional orator voice on real quick. In recent news, the San Francisco 49ers, Juju's beloved San Francisco 49ers, have recently acquired Carolina Panthers running back and player who has never played a meaningful football game in his life, Christian McCaffrey. In exchange, the San Francisco 49ers will be sending a 2023 second third and fourth round pick to the Carolina Panthers and a fifth round pick in future seasons, which I believe is conditional based on some production outputs. The San Francisco 49ers, as you may recall, do not have their first round picks in this year's draft. They traded it all for crypto, aka Trey Lance, and the San Francisco 49ers have taken their top three picks in the upcoming draft and sent them to the Carolina Panthers in exchange for a player who once made all pro at both running back and receiver. Just had to get that one crypto shot in, didn't you? Just couldn't let that one go, Kyle. Just have to rain on my parade, be ants at my picnic. But no, not tonight, my friend. Not tonight, because for the first time in what feels like forever, the 49ers actually said F them picks and went all in on a player that we know can play. You talk about the Trey Lance thing. We still don't know if Trey Lance can play. I know that Christian McCaffrey can play. I know he can play well, as you mentioned, as a receiver, as a running back, as an all-around offensive weapon. And if I was to design a player in a lab to fit into a Kyle Shanahan offense, it probably would look like someone like Christian McCaffrey, someone who could take advantage of that zone running scheme. In fact, his injury history just fits perfectly with this year's 49ers team. I will enjoy these next two weeks while he's fully healthy and just look forward <laughs> to the eventual hamstring injury that is. But seriously, no, no, not going to go there. Not going to go into that negative place. No, I am just going to say that this trade shifts the expectations that I had for this year's 49ers team. There's no way around it. You make this move. This says not only are we planning on winning now, but given Christian McCaffrey's contract that we have him under contract till 2025, we plan on winning into the future. And this is another opportunity. You mentioned what, what's going to happen down the road with like a Trey Lance, for example. You're getting another high-priced offensive weapon on your team in your locker room. I did not expect this happening tonight. I heard the rumblings that a Christian McCaffrey trade was in the works. I did not expect the Niners to make it. I didn't expect it tonight. Crazy. <laughs> Seriously, I'm in shock, man. Yeah, I totally get it. Like, this is an all-in move that is all-in for this season and next season. And I understand it a lot more because I believe that the San Francisco 49ers, before making this trade, were the second-best team in the, the NFC altogether. Uh, they, I thought that they would end up coasting through that division regardless of injuries, et cetera, et cetera. I love this trade so much by San Francisco. I love it so much. And I say that having no idea how it's going to work out. I have no idea what the results of this are going to look like. This is a classic case of great process, and we'll see what the results are. And the thing I'm hammering all the time about sports, if you have a process and you have an idea of where you're going, that's okay even if the results don't pan out because the results are so out of your control. You have no idea what's going to happen with Christian McCaffrey's hamstrings. We don't know exactly how Kyle Shanahan plans to implement him in that offense given where George Kittle stands and what Debo Samuel's doing and Kyle Juszczyk returned. Like, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like for San Francisco. I don't know what the results are going to be, the process is the correct one, though. This is a great, great, great decision by the San Francisco 49ers to make this trade. I think that there was a lot of pressure on them, not only coming off a loss against the Atlanta Falcons, but just in general, you know, the last couple years, yes, you've beaten the hell out of the Rams. You won six straight victories against them, but then in the most important moment in the NFC Championship game, they're the team that advances. And why do they advance? Because they have Von Miller on their defense. And Von Miller creates a lot of pressure. And Von Miller is the big reason for that interception that ended last year's NFC Championship game. That's something that the Rams have been consistently doing. They've been aggressive. And they've been making it hard on the 49ers. The 49ers had to have some sort of counterpunch. Now, they were planning both for a win-now window and in the long term when they went after Trey Lance. This is a move similar to when they made the deal for Emmanuel Sanders a few years ago. This is a move that says... 
we can go all in on this year's team. And when I look around the offense, there's no more excuses for this offense to not be running at full efficiency. Because I look at an offense with Trent Williams coming back off injury that has George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Kyle Juszczyk, Jimmy Garoppolo, and like we mentioned, the best left tackle in the game in Trent Williams. That's an offense that can win in this league. That's an offense you can roll into battle with each and every day. And I look at what Christian McCaffrey brings to this offense. Okay, if we all agree that Jimmy Garoppolo is not a guy that exactly airs it out and throws the ball downfield, then what is the perfect running back to have? A guy like Christian McCaffrey, a guy that is averaging about 8.4 yards per catch this season, a guy that still is 4.6 yards per carry. Christian McCaffrey is still a damn good player. That's what I've learned throughout this year, that when he's healthy, when he's on the field, Christian McCaffrey, age 26, age 26, people, is still a damn good player. And that's why, Kyle, John Lynch, I'm glad that you came to the decision (laughs) that we don't care about spending Jed York's money because Jed, pressure's on him to win a Super Bowl, following that Eddie DeBartolo legacy. Well, so this is interesting because this is what, trading for Trey Lance and giving away all your first round picks buys you is the cap space to just slide in Christian McCaffrey. I don't know exactly how the money's going to work. They're probably not paying the full contract. I assume Carolina's paying some portion of it, given how much compensation they had to give up. I I don't think we know the details of that yet, but at the same time, you could just slide that in because remember going into this year, the 49ers had... $24 $24 million of cap space available once they restructured Jimmy Garoppolo's contract. This is the benefit of not paying $13 million over three seasons to your first round picks and not having to pay the slot money to all those draft picks that you trade away is that you can just slide in a Christian McCaffrey and things kind of roll normally and they can sign Charvarius Ward and they can give all these people extensions and still have the flexibility. That's ultimately, I think, why they opted to go for Trey Lance back when they did. And I think if they had to do it over again, they probably wouldn't do it the same way. But at the same time, this is what it buys you when you have that flexibility and a guy on a rookie contract. It's the same thing the Chargers tried and failed to do this offseason when they signed all those people to gigantic extensions. Uh, It's the thing that Kansas City did when they had Mahomes in that window and they ended up signing Honey Badger and signing Terry Hill to that big extension. And then as soon as Mahomes makes the money, those guys go away and you have to find value within the margins. This is San Francisco finding value within the margins. And I mean, their quarterbacks making backup level money, and I'm not talking about Trey Lance at this point. So it slides in beautifully for this year and next year, 2025. I'm not exactly sure what the math looks like there, but for this year and next year, it looks very, very good for San Francisco. And I don't think even with those draft picks and cap space, they were going to be able to fix the running back situation because it was bad and credit to the 49ers (laughs) for acknowledging the bad running back room and making a change it's bad but it was going to get better in a few weeks when you did have elijah mitchell back and healthy in theory but what i think is ingenious about this move too because i think mitchell's still going to have a role when he comes back off his injuries respectively is that you put a little less pressure on christian mccaffrey in this offense if you look at what he had to do in carolina he was the every down back you couldn't put a guy like chuba hubbard or dante foreman out there to substitute in for him But in San Francisco, you look at when they were at their best in 2019, for example, Raheem Mostert was a great find for them late in the season, but Raheem Mostert still wasn't an every down player. He still wasn't a three down back for them. They were able to get the best out of him because they were able to rotate their backs. If you told me there's a CMC and Elijah Mitchell rotation that happens throughout the course of the season, I will believe you because I think that that's going to be what they're going to use to try and keep these guys healthy, keep these guys on the field because the big problem, again, 49ers, 49ers running backs in particular, they get hurt. (laughs) They go through them like cannon fodder. So I'm hoping that that doesn't happen with Christian McCaffrey, given like Trey Lance, you put a heavy investment here. We're talking about all these draft picks. You're not going to have those anymore. I told you the Niners scratch on draft picks all the time. They also hit on draft picks. So hopefully their recipe of continuing to land a fifth round, sixth round pick that turns into an all pro works out for them. <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, I can tell you, if he's healthy on the field all 17 games, then you know what? He's going to be all pro for you. There's no question. There's no dispute about that one. Last question I have for you, though, with this move, what do you think? Them against the Eagles, assuming everyone gets healthy? Do the Niners have the best roster in the NFC? It'd be a really fun matchup to watch. I, I would love, love, love to watch San Francisco play Philadelphia. I just want to watch Philadelphia play an elite defense, period. 
because I, I would love to see how that offense stacks up against a defense like San Francisco or Tampa. I think San Francisco and Philadelphia are the two best teams in the NFC. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. Uh, who do you expect to be the starter once Mac Jones is healthy? Yeah, well, we'll see how that process is. Max still wasn't able to play yesterday, so um, you know we'll continue to evaluate him and you know see how he's doing physically. Kyle, it's another week in the NFL, so it's time to overreact to a backup quarterback playing above his skis. Bailey Zappi is the latest person to get the Cooper Rush treatment, and we saw Cooper Rush come back down to earth. But Bailey Zappi, is he the next Tom Brady? People are asking this question. Kyle Ledbetter, what say you? No. Okay, definitive. I like it. Strong in the conviction. I just, I like my odds. I like my odds on saying no. <laughs> Are you 10 toes down on this take? Yes, I like my odds. I think it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's a guarantee. I'm saying that the odds are so significantly in my favor that I, I like the chances of my take coming true. I guess it's really my mistake in saying the next Tom Brady, considering that would require you to win seven Super Bowl rings. How about, let's say, the next Andy Dalton? Probably not. That would be my guess. Okay, so I we got to lower the standard even more. Okay, okay. Uh, let's see. The next, Mike Glennon? Sure. Yes. <laughs> let's go with that. <laughs> Maybe we can get a Matt Castle. Matt Castle started, you know, a whole season. Well, let me uh okay i think that's maybe let's more point realistic. to a um to another western kentucky quarterback who in week six of the nfl season happened to take the league by storm i'm talking of course about mike white of course for those of you who may or may not know mike white from the same school as bailey zappy both of them white backup quarterbacks who came in in the afc east teams in the doldrums and gave a spark to their seasons that will ultimately i mean probably not make the playoffs but for the patriots sake they have a better chance than the 2021 jets i think Bailey Zappi is better than Mike White. That I can confirm. Whoa, you're talking about the Mike White, the beat down on the eventual AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. We will not have any Mike White besmirchment on this podcast, Kyle. I'm just saying, where's Mike White now? Where Where is he at? I, I legitimately asked that question. Is he still in New York? I don't know. I know I think Joe Flacco's so. there. Maybe. I don't know. In terms of Bailey Zappi, I will say, like, he has a 100 passer rating each of the first three games of the season. New England's is two and one in those games. They're three and three altogether. Is it that Bailey Zappi is actually a capable NFL quarterback on the fringes? Possibly. Is it possible that the Patriots' three wins this season have been against teams that have a combined five total victories? Maybe it's that. I don't know. Like, New England has overachieved to expectations because they have not had a top. 20 offense since the last Super Bowl season uh -huh. in 2018. But that's where the debate gets interesting. They haven't had a top 20 offense. Well, one of those years was started by Mac Jones. Mac Jones, currently on the men, had a high ankle injury. And Bailey Zappi, according to many Bostonites, Bostonians, whatever you identify yourself as, got on the Bailey Zappi train pretty early on. And Bailey Zappi, obviously... College career, not even comparable to Mac Jones in the sense of the impact of his play on the team's results. Alabama national champion versus, as you mentioned, Western Kentucky. A lot of great gaudy stat lines he was able to put up out there in the same way that Mike White was able to put great gaudy stat lines out for Western Kentucky. But not the same impact in the game as whenever you're throwing for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Granted, you also do get to throw to consistently five-star wide receivers. When we get to the pros, it, things start to even out a little bit. It's everyone's on the same level. Everyone's getting paid. Some people are getting paid a little bit more. Some people are getting paid a little bit less. Bailey Zappi, he's not getting paid nearly as much as Mac Jones, but Mac Jones isn't getting paid a lot either because he's on a rookie deal. That's what Mac Jones is. Yeah. Mac Jones isn't a made man. I think that's part of why this conversation is even happening. Now you were talking about analysis from friend of the podcast, Blake Jude who had these guys only separated by a couple letter grades in his draft analysis. You want to talk about that, Kyle? Yeah, so Blake Jude and I had this running joke in 2021. And the 2021 draft informed myself where I'm like, I don't really like doing the prognosticating thing with quarterbacks because I spent like six weeks yelling into the universe about how are people trying to make me take crazy pills and tell me that Mac Jones is better than Justin Fields. Like, I feel like everyone's trying to make me a crazy person. And wow. NFL so far to this point, maybe. But 
But that's the thing. It's not fun to do the projection because, like, Mac Jones ends up on the Patriots, Justin Fields ends up on the Bears, and as soon as that happened, I'm like, ah, shit, they're going to ruin Justin Fields' career. Literally on draft day, I said, ah, shit, the Bears are going to ruin Justin Fields. And lo and behold, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Mac Jones has reached an incredibly stable foundation. He was a solid quarterback last year. He made the Pro Bowl because six quarterbacks before him declined the invitation. And so that... Yeah, I mean, he was pro-ready, but the the Patriots' offense wasn't good last year. And I I said that they haven't had a top-20 offense since 2018, the Super Bowl season. That means they had... I, I mean, I vaguely, I, these aren't exactly correct because I don't remember them off the top of my head anymore, but they were 21st in 2019. I remember that. They were the 21st ranked offense. I believe they were 25th the Cam Newton year and 22nd last year. And then you've flipped Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, according to DVOA on Football Outsiders. The Patriots have the 22nd ranked offense in the NFL this season, exactly the same as last year, uh, despite the fact that they've like switched Devontae Parker with Nikhil Harry. And because they both wear number one, I get confused every now and again which one is which but they basically brought back the same offense half the time Mac Jones half the time Bailey Zappi it wasn't like Mac Jones was lighting it up before he got hurt to start the season so like half the time it's been him that's yeah where we are where we are right now with this debate yeah and and the only defense I have for Mac Jones is he was a first round pick But Blake Jude, as you mentioned, Blake Jude had a third round grade on Mac Jones coming out of the 2021 draft. And something he did after the fact was he included position bonuses. So acknowledging like Mac Jones is a third round prospect and also third round prospects get drafted in the first round. He had Kenny Pickett in a similar vein. He was his number three quarterback and none of his quarterbacks were graded as first round guys. But he knew that one of them was going to get picked in the first round and it happened to be Pickett instead of Malik Willis. So like positionally, it's not saying he should like if we're doing all else being equal he would have been a third round quarterback but quarterbacks are so valuable that sometimes they get overdrafted so Blake Jude had Mac Jones as a third round quarterback early third round to to defend it and then he had Bailey Zappi as a late fifth round guy last year coming out of the draft I think it was like his eighth or ninth ranked quarterback at the end of uh, the whole draft process so they aren't that dissimilar and uh, you mentioned Cooper Rush. The only difference between the controversy of Cooper Rush is that Dak Prescott's really, really good at quarterback. We all know Dak Prescott's really, really good at quarterback, and there's no scenario in which they would go to Cooper Rush. Although Cooper Rush is a very nice backup to have, and I assume Bailey Zappi will be that too. So Mike Florio, he was talking about the quarterback situation, and he presented this quote. There's a belief that Jones isn't thrilled with that arrangement. Talk about the way the offense is currently constructed under Matt Patricia. There's also talk that Judge, Joe Judge, has become an advocate for Zappi that would help explain Belichick's reluctance to proclaim that Jones will still be the starter when healthy. Hearing that, what's your interpretation? You know the old saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. I think that's kind of what we're talking about here with the Patriots right now. Because if the Patriots were lighting it up and they had two good quarterbacks, that'd be fantastic. And I know Bailey Zappi has like 111 passer rating the last three games and they blanked the Lions and all that stuff. But they still have the 22nd ranked offense in the NFL, despite Bailey Zappi putting up those ridiculous numbers, which tells you kind of the state of the Patriots offense at this point. So it, <laughs> why, it why might be the end if you do end if you don't. I had the Cleveland DST. I'm thinking... Okay, they're running out Bailey Zappi. I have an opportunity to get some easy points out there. No, no. Instead, he puts up this stat line, 24 for 34, 309 yards, two passing touchdowns, and his passer rating was 118.4. Another thing, too, is that Bailey Zappi, he's seeming to be fine just being a piece of this offense, right? And I think that that's part of where this kind of this disagreement between Mac Jones and the coaching staff, because it seems like Mac Jones is starting to try and play outside of his particular skill set. In the early part of the season, he's throwing interceptions up like he's Matthew Stafford. We get into this point where now he gets to ride the bench a little bit. His backup comes in and his backup's not going above and beyond, but he is not turning the ball over, which a stringent old school coaching staff, like what Bill Belichick and the Patriots have there, do your job. Not turning the ball over is a powerful thing to do in itself. Just don't be an idiot. Just don't go outside of yourself. And, And, you know, it sucks, too, for Mac, because you would say the game he did get hurt, the game against Baltimore, yeah, they would eventually go on to lose that game. But that game, 
he was lighting it up. <laughs> he, he hit Devontae Parker on multiple deep balls and was having, actually having a really good game. I believe he even had a decent little scramble in that. What do you do? Like, okay, let's say you go out there. You're going in this game against the Bears. I think the Patriots are better than the Bears, but the Bears, they can still win. They're that type of team that they're not good, but don't sleep on them. They're still a pro team. They still can occasionally knock you off. They knocked off the Niners in week one. Listen, maybe this is just me trying to rationalize and get over that week one defeat, but the Bears can sneak up on you. They have a well-coached defense with Eberflus, even if their offense is a little bit of a mess. Bailey Zappi could theoretically struggle against that defense. It's not inconceivable that he could have a bad day against that defense, but if he has a good day, goes out there and lights the world on fire, again, it's not like Mac Jones is a made guy. 100%. Like, this, it's it's reasonable to say the difference between Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones is not that significant. And by the way, like in defense of Mac Jones, like playing the Dolphins, the Steelers and the Packers sucks a lot more than playing the Lions and Cleveland and Chicago. Like, obviously, there's a difference there as well. But like the most damning indictment where I'm like, I know I'm not taking crazy pills on Mac Jones is Mac Jones had a national champion offense and he finished third on his own team in the Heisman voting. Devonta Smith won the Heisman in 2020. Najee Harris finished fourth. Like he finished third on his own team in the Heisman. Do you know how hard it is for a quarterback to finish third on his own team on a national champion team in Heisman voting? That's just absolutely unheard. Like Mac Jones is a four-star prospect. He was the third string at Bama. He had opportunities to transfer. He did the what Gardner Minshew's initial plan was, which Gardner Minshew was going to transfer to Bama and then begin a coaching role afterwards. And then Tua got hurt and Mac Jones took over the team and they were still in waiting for Bryce Young to get there so he had one year with obviously Najee Harris Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle where they won the championship in a defense that had five first rounders on it during the pandemic so like Mac Jones is fine Mac Jones is fine the difference between him and Bailey Zappi is there Mac Jones has proven he's a capable quarterback for five years until the team gets bored of him and then moves on to another quarterback like he's capable as an NFL starter and he's probably better than Bailey Zappi although the only reason I'm saying that is he was drafted higher than Bailey Zappi and I don't have a representative sample size on Bailey Zappi yet. Who do you think would be closer to, at bare minimum, a Kirk Cousins? Oh, Mac Jones for sure. Between the two of them. But again, I don't have a representative sample size on Bailey Zappi. I'm saying that after three games, or really two games, he's only started two games. We still don't know what Bailey Zappi is. At Oh, I guess he started three. It was Packers, it was Lions, and now it's last week's game. So after three I, games, we don't know exactly what he is yet. I think in, even in saying that, saying that we don't know what he is yet after three games is almost a way that the Patriots staff can rationalize this as well. They can use this as an opportunity while Mac Jones is still healing up to say, let's see what we got in this Bailey Zappi kid. So I kind of wonder if Bill Belichick and his team are kind of considering that, using Mac Jones' injury as an excuse to see what they have in Bailey Zappi. But anyway, guys. The Slumbuster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. By the way, Steve Kime, he looks like your right thumb. And also, Steve Kime looks like a 1990s wrestler who's a little bit past his prime. <laughs> Steve Kime may look like a thumb, but he traded for Robbie Anderson in the wake of an injury to Marquise Hollywood Brown, the wide receiver they traded for in the offseason. So they were trying to make this a more dynamic playmaking offense. And so far at this point, there's been nothing really dynamic about the Arizona Cardinals team i mean you have a air raid offensive coordinator and cliff kingsbury and you have kyler murray coming off a new extension and so far i mean they're worse than the seahawks what who would have saw that one coming nobody nobody saw that one coming at all because no one foresaw geno smith coming and nobody foresaw the seattle seahawks being one of the highest turnover margin teams in the league which is kind of more just a product of luck but at the same time no one saw that coming and to add to it you you take away one of their wins if it wasn't for an amazing unprecedented comeback against the las vegas raiders credit to them for being able to pull off that victory but still their season has just been hanging on by a thread. They are currently in shambles. I don't think there's too much to dispute about where the Arizona Cardinals are as a team, as a franchise. Comes in a weird year for them because we talk about Kime, Kime who got the extension, Cliff Kingsbury who got an extension, Kyler who got an extension, 
out of the three guys, we know that Kyler is the most safe, but yeah. what's the move for the Arizona Cardinals? I, I produce a Arizona Cardinals podcast with our friend Walter Mitchell uh, with Revenge of the Birds. You can check that out. It's really good content, especially this week. So it, it was recorded before the Robbie Anderson trade, but there's really good analysis if you want really in-depth Cardinals stuff. I'm just going to kind of take the best of that and mold it into four minutes. He turned to, he has a great term for what he calls the Cardinals offense. He calls it the K-Raid offense because it's Cliff Kingsbury's adaptation of an air raid offense. They run the ball a lot. They use a lot of screen pass passes to set up plays very occasionally do they use the offensive lineman formations that are very specific to the air raid offense it's a mutated form of the air raid offense similar to how like Andy Reid picks and chooses plays from the air raid offense to put into his college type scheme for Patrick Mahomes but also has like different eras of NFL offenses mixed in. Like that's kind of what Cliff Kingsbury's adopted with that team. And Jason LaConforta of CBS did a great story about this. That was basically like, look, Cliff is stubborn about changing the way that they run. They don't do a lot of game prep at the start. Kyler Murray's also a little bit hard-headed and kind of butts with him in terms of when he can change the plays at the line of scrimmage. It seems like a situation where the K-Raid offense isn't really a applicable to what the Cardinals are trying to do, no matter how many weapons they give him and no matter how many offensive line formations they set up. So it reminded me a lot of how in the 2021 draft, once everyone knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be the one pick, we just stopped picking apart Trevor Lawrence specifically. If Kyler Murray hadn't signed that extension this offseason, I think the whole conversation this week would be about Kyler Murray's contract, about franchise tags, about, you know, fifth year options. That, that would be the conversation this week. But because Kyler already got the extension and there is no scenario where they, they can technically get out of his contract after 2024, they have like a small window in March of 2025 where it's only like a $30 million dead cap hit. But basically, because Kyler is 100% their quarterback for the next three years, this year plus the two after that, they're going to get a chance to work through it a little bit. He's going to get that opportunity. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is going to. And Steve Kimes' reputation, as Suge White, as I call him, shout out Bomani Jones for that nickname. Steve Kimes' reputation would render a firing worthy, but he has a very buddy-buddy relationship with the owner of the team. And he's survived much worse at this point. Like drafting Josh Rosen and pivoting to Kyla Murray most general managers don't get to be the one who oversees the next regime when you make that choice. So Steve Kime has survived worse questions in the air, whether he's still the coach or not, but this might be a cut your losses situation in Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph too. Vance Joseph, I've already seen a team quit on Vance Joseph once. So if the Cardinals defense quits on him, wouldn't be surprised by that one either. I think the coaching staff is going to be the first domino to fall if they miss the playoffs. I think I heard someone once say that you get as a GM, three coaches, if you're a head coach, get three quarterbacks. And if you scratch on all three, then you're out. So I think Kime in would not be in charge of another coaching search if it came down to it. And I don't think that Cliff Kingsbury would keep his job, obviously, if this season went down the tubes. So I think you're going to see a change in both the GM and head coaching position after the season. And you mentioned we would be talking about Kyler Murray's contract had he not signed it. By that virtue, was it a mistake that they got the deal done before the season? I'm going to say no, because I'm going to say that this is not a permanent state of being for Kyla Murray. I need a larger sample size than six games because I've seen Kyla Murray look awesome this year, and I've also seen him be totally worthless. So, But didn't you I need get a that sample, sample size at the tail end of last season as well? That one's when do we factor because... that into the math? So I gave the Cardinals a pass for the end of last season. And the reason I gave them a pass is they had a catastrophic amount of injuries, not just Kyler himself dealing with the ankle injury, but DeAndre Hopkins was out every game at the end of the season until the playoff game in which they had Max Garcia, who I believe is like the backup on the Giants now trying to block Aaron Donald. And they just had no chance in that game. I give them a pass for how last season ended without DeAndre Hopkins and without JJ Watt and without three of their starting offensive linemen. I gave Aaron Arizona personally a pass and Kyler Murray's made two Pro Bowls in three seasons and they're not like Pro Bowls where it's like oh damn they had to appoint someone because everyone dropped out it's not a Mac Jones Pro Bowl or a Mitchell Trubisky Pro Bowl like he's been named Pro Bowler as a, one of the three best quarterbacks in the NFC 
in his second year and his third year. So I was in favor of giving him the extension because you had to, because Kyler was not going to play another down for the Cardinals without that extension, nor should he, because that's the perfect situation for him. He's in that tier two of quarterbacks where because he's making so much money, you have to be incredibly good within the margins. Not after six games. I've seen two years of samples. It's it's six games and whatever the tail end of last season was when he started to go downhill. And again, I get what you're saying I, I on the injuries, yeah. but like there's a lot of quarterbacks that have to work around injuries. Yeah, totally fair. And for me, I'm not doing the analysis on that end of season because of how terrible the Arizona What about the was. tail end of the previous season? That one is a fair conversation. And and at the time I was in favor of Kyler Murray's a person you give 46 million to because a year from now he'll be the seventh highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Whereas right now he's the third highest paid quarterback. He'll be the seventh highest paid, and he's about the seventh or eighth best quarterback in the league. So I would have uh I would have still given him the extension. Although Arizona, what giving him the extension does is he's gonna have the leeway to build that roster up. And, and we can talk about the transactions they've made also as well, but he's gonna get the leeway to work through this. And I think that's ultimately the right decision because you choose quarterback over Cliff Kingsbury, who I said going into this year, I have no evidence either way as to whether he's a good coach or a bad coach. He's kind of in purgatory. So what's the perfect coach for Kyler? Personally, if I were making the hire, I would actually go defensive coach and then bring in an offensive coordinator, uh, possibly. I mean, it's difficult because like I would say Joe Brady, who's the quarterback's coach for the Bills, but I think Joe Brady might turn down the offer to be offensive coordinator of the Cardinals, but you know, maybe money talks in that situation, but I would actually go defensive coach. I might go Gannon in Philadelphia, D'Amico Ryans in San Francisco. Uh, I would even go Brian Flores over in no, Pittsburgh. No, no. D'Amico, like, come on. Don't, don't go in division. Don't do that to us. Go to the AFC. Be like McDaniel. <laughs> Be like Sala. Don't go to the NFC. Don't go to Kyler. But again, I, I always say, I don't know what makes a good head coach. So actually, if you're asking me who would I hire as head coach, I would say I would sit down with an interview of 10 to 12 candidates. I would ask them about leadership and skill sets because that would be the thing more important to trying to identify who the next Mike Tomlin, Sean McVay, Sean Payton, those coaches that add value. I would sit down and actually do an interview to try and identify who the best leader would be if you're actually asking me who it is. But if you're asking me to just throw out names, I would throw out defensive coaches first for the Cardinals, most likely. I can rationalize your thought in the defensive head coach hiring process because I think the best coach for Kyler is someone that actually wants to coach Kyler. And what I mean by that is I feel like Cliff, I feel like that hiring, they went into it with the same kind kind of idea of Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets of I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be your buddy. We're going to be more of a partnership between this head coach and player. Kyler is a young guy. He hasn't built up the resume to necessarily have a buddy-buddy in the league in the same way like Aaron Rodgers is with his quarterback coaches or Tom Brady is with whoever he wants to bring on, on staff. Kyler doesn't have that same level of authority or he shouldn't have that same level of authority because, to be frank, he hasn't done shit in the NFL to this point. He's had an amazing college well, career and he's done a couple nice things, but there's been a lot of guys that have gone to a couple pro bowls and then been out of the league within the next five years. Kyler could fall into that camp very easily. So no, I think Kyler Murray did enough to earn that contract. Kyler Murray did enough to earn that contract and setting himself up for the next few years. Like that dude from being the greatest high school quarterback in the history of Texas to winning a Heisman trophy, to being the number one pick you, and making no, two no, pro no. bowls and having you, a QBR in the top 10. You can't get, be getting paid based off what you did in high school and college. That well, doesn't so, matter so what you do. Go to the NFL. I was going to say, so, top 10 in QBR both of his last two seasons I've seen him also make the plays where he just rolls to his right 40 yards down the field puts a ball within a four uh, quarter of an inch window like that's the the, the skill set that you're paying I all also that money saw for. him have that game and against the Rams in the playoffs last year totally fair and that's why he's in that weird second tier right this was always the problem with Russell Wilson it was like Russell Wilson makes all this money and the Seahawks are not making good decisions to find value. And that's on the general manager. You got to find value within the margins, which brings us to I've the transactions the that they've been making. I've dropped him a tier. I think that he's fallen out of that second tier for me. So he's Derek Carr? Probably. Ooh. We can we can play the Kyler. I, I have well, a Kyler well, Murray think about what can... Ky- Think about Derek Carr, what, what he's done. I mean, he's going to probably have like a 10-year, 15-year career and make the playoffs twice, three times in that span. Maybe even never win a playoff game. I hope it doesn't come like that to Derek Carr, but at a certain point, that's that's going to be the narrative built around him. 
Kyler Murray, again, four years into his NFL career, been to a playoffs and got embarrassed in the first round of said playoffs. And should have been in in 2020 also. They just and fell we, apart at the end of the season with the yeah, injuries. Well, then the Bears end up making the playoffs. Yeah, but that, that was just because they were playing, uh, what's his name? Was it Strevler, I think, was playing the last game of the season. <laughs> He's about as accomplished right now as a Mitchell Trubisky, as a Mac Jones. And I don't see the situation game better in Arizona, building around Kyler, unless they just knock it out of the park with this next head coaching hire. Well, so this brings us to the transactions that I think are so interesting because uh, our buddy 1990s wrestler past his prime, Steve Kime, has basically decided, you know where we're going to find value within the margins? We are going to trade all of our day three draft picks. We don't value day three draft picks even the slightest. They traded Tay Gowan, who is a fifth round pick the year before as a rookie, and an extra fifth round pick for Zach Ertz. They traded a conditional pick for Cody Ford, who's now a backup lineman. They traded a conditional sixth for Trayvon uh, Mullen, who's now their, their third corner at this point. They just gave up a sixth and a seventh for Robbie Anderson. They gave up a third round pick for Rodney Hudson. They don't value those late round picks at all. And by the way, the ones that they have drafted this year, Cam Thomas and MyJ Sanders, both edge rushers, both picked second round and third round, they just wouldn't put them on the field. And then they put them on the field against the Seahawks and both of them got sacks. So like even the picks that they are making, they're not playing rookies, which by the way is the same complaint Cardinals fans have been making for the last two years because they just don't use Isaiah Simmons. They didn't use Hassan Reddick. He left Arizona, had a breakout 12-sack campaign with the with Carolina, goes to the Eagles, and we find out, oh, Vance Joseph was just playing him at the wrong position for four years. Like Arizona, even the picks they use, they, they don't even use them correctly. And they've just decided we value no day three picks anymore. Well, they technically traded a first round pick for Hollywood Brown also. And they basically decided we don't value draft picks. We, we value the, the short-term fixes of a corner three here, a backup offensive lineman here. We, we just value short-term fixes instead of drafting players with third, fourth, and fifth round picks. Well, they tried to go all in last year when obviously you have DeAndre Hopkins to the team, you have J.J. Watt added to the team. And now we have DeAndre Hopkins coming off the suspension. How does D-Hop being back and the addition of Robbie Anderson change the fortunes of the Arizona Cardinals for you? Well, it's different. And I don't know if different is better for Arizona, but Arizona is now entering a transition period. And, and if Cliff Kingsbury gets fired, like we all think is probably going to happen, I'm not saying it's a guarantee. I'm Arizona just saying State that Sun Devil job is open. I mean, it fixes a lot of problems, doesn't it? But like, say they miss the playoffs. And if they miss the playoffs, Cliff's not going to make it because they shouldn't have given him that extension in the first place. But the good news about having billions of dollars is that you can just make those mistakes and then be like, yeah, whatever, you're out of here now. Arizona is in this interesting place where this is going to be a transition because like you said, they went all in on Hopkins. He's, I think he's making $27 million relative to the cap this year. They signed J.J. Watt to a two-year contract. J.J. Watt, can and probably will leave at the end of the season. I saw Cardinals fans today talking about if we lose the next game to the Saints, is it time to talk about trading J.J. Watt and trying to get value back for him while you have a chance? And this is a, this is going to be a transition period for Arizona. It's going to be Kyler Murray's fifth-year option comes up next year. So technically, Kyler doesn't make any more money this year than he did the year before. Fifth-year option for $21 million the next year. Then it's 46 million. Then it's 43 million. They are transitioning into we no longer have value at the quarterback position. And so now the game plan is how are we going to build this roster around Kyler Murray? How are we going to build this roster around a quarterback that makes $46 million a year? The same way the Cowboys had to, the same way that the Raiders had to when Derek Carr got his extension, the same way that the Kansas City Chiefs are experiencing right now where Tyran Matthews gone now and Tyree Kill is gone and Daniel Sorensen is gone and Charvarius Ward is gone and you have to find value in different places. And I don't trust Arizona to do that better than the competition. I think they'll find good value. I really love Cam Thomas. I love Myjay Sanders. I think Zaven Collins, we might look up in a couple of years, he's putting up Fred Warner numbers. Like he's a really, really good prospect. And I think that there's a chance they'll find that value. I just don't trust Arizona to find better value than say, Kansas City or Green Bay or these teams that have proven that they're well-run organizations and, and that's not what the Arizona Cardinals are. And now starts the final quarter. Buckle up. Buckle up. This is 
the Slump Buster Podcast. So in the NFC North, developing story, the Green Bay Packers have dropped two straight games to New York-run franchises. They dropped the game against the Giants in London, and they just lost to the Jets, which kind of puts them behind the eight ball to the Minnesota Vikings, who are 5-1 and one, and already have a head-to-head victory against the Green Bay Packers. I guess the question is, have the Minnesota Vikings already wrapped up the NFC North? Not wrapped up, but more likely than not, they will win. And this is actually the first week that I've actually started to contemplate the possibility of the Vikings winning that division. Because I know the Vikings are 5-1 and one headed into their bye week. They're 4-2. and two. They should have lost that game to the Lions. That was just a weird result. They should be a 4-2 and two team that happens to be 5-1 and one at this point. And that's just better for evaluating what the team is in terms of like what's going to happen when they get to the playoffs more than it is what's going to happen when they win the division. 5-1 and one versus 4-2 and two is a huge difference when we're talking about what's going to happen in the division. So this is the first week I'm contemplating that's like, hey, it's more probable than not that Minnesota is going to win that division and they're probably going to win the division. I mean, not necessarily the last week of the season, but like they're going to win the division and and possibly have a chance to rest people if they don't care about seeding. Like that might be a situation Minnesota finds itself in. And this is the first time I've actually contemplated that possibility because in my mind, I've kept saying it's the same Minnesota team. It's the same Minnesota team. It's the same Minnesota team. And Quite frankly, it might be the same Minnesota team. It's just the Packers are not really great at anything. The Packers are just like good to average at a lot of things. And that's, you know, just been kind of the the biggest surprise I've seen so far this season. It's like they almost lost to the Patriots. They did lose to the Giants and they lost to the Jets and the Jets kind of smoked them like that. That's kind of been the adjustment for myself more than what the Vikings are doing well. Stacking up the position groups, Vikings versus the Packers. Obviously, we know we give the edge to them at quarterback with Aaron Rodgers, but you you, you look, Dalvin Cook, compare him to Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon in a vacuum. Dalvin Cook probably has the edge there. Wide receivers, no contest. I mean, Adam Thielen <laughs> and Justin Jefferson compared to the current state of the Green Bay Packers wide receivers. Uh, tight end, he, I like Irv Smith Jr. more than a returning from injury, Robert Tanyan. The offensive lines... The Vikings offensive line is worse, but they vastly improved since last season. And the defenses, it's weird that the Vikings defense is better this year than last year, given that last year, obviously, they had Mike Zimmer as the head coach. And I've always respected Mike Zimmer as a defensive play caller. But this Vikings defense has done more when they've been asked to step up and make plays than last year's Vikings defense did. And I, I think that's been the big story and the big part of the turnaround. And you mentioned the close games. The, you mentioned the game against the Lions, right? The fact that those games are now going their way instead of against them obviously has led to them being 5-1. and one. And last year's Vikings team would have lost that game. And that's when we would have questioned, <laughs> oh, same old Vikings. Now, currently, their only loss is to the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. So if you're a Vikings fan, you could have schemed up this year really any better. And, okay, you beat the Lions. It's nice to have a head-to-head division win. And again, the big thing for them is the week one victory against the Packers. They have some breathing room here too. Even if the Packers catch them, they have that win to kind of fall back on, which is a (laughs) nice luxury that they haven't had. And uh, you talk about the early coaching the year candidates, right? I I feel like Kevin O'Connell has to be strongly in that consideration. Uh, I think Brian Dayball right now is the quicker lead, doing more with less with what he's doing with the Giants. I imagine it's refreshing for Kirk Cousins that he doesn't have a toxic relationship with his head coach because we know that him and Mike Zimmer clearly disagreed on a multitude of issues behind the scenes and they had those sideline blowups. So I, I think those are all the factors that have led to the Viking season we're seeing to this point. I guess for the Vikings fans and the Vikings franchise, the question they ask, they have to ask themselves is yeah, we're five and one. Yeah, we're cruising to this NFC North title, but are we truly a franchise that's turned the corner to being a championship contender? And you look at the current state of the NFC as is, you have the Niners who very talented team, but they've been having played their JV unit due to injuries. You look at the Eagles undefeated right now. You look at the NFC East, and we're still trying to make sense of what the NFC East currently is constructed because you have the Cowboys who just dropped the game with their backup quarterback, Cooper Rush, after going, of course, 4-0 and with Cooper Rush as their starting quarterback. Now they get Dak Prescott back, so the, how much does that improve that team? The New York Giants, 
at this point, they're five and one. They they face the Jags this week. They could be six and one. They aren't going away. They'll be in the wild card picture just by virtue of their early season record. The Vikings, I like them over the Giants, but I, I think the hesitancy for people to buy in on the Vikings is that we always feel like they have that dumb game in them, right? We always feel like they have that similar to what we consider. Think about when we think about the Pac-12, they always have that letdown performance in them. And that will be the true test, right? If they could go a prolonged stretch without having that game happen to them. So Minnesota, one of my favorite stats from last year is that if we had not played the final two minutes of each half of the first half and the second half last season, if we had just not played them all together, if football quarters were 13 minutes long or 14 minutes long, whatever you want to say, if you take out just that four minutes of every game, the Vikings would have gone 15 and two last year. They would have gone 15 and two if you don't play the, the last two minutes of every game last year. And the Vikings this year have not changed their defense at all. And the reason that they are as good defensively as they've been is they have the second best turnover margin in the NFL at plus four. They're forcing a lot of turnovers and turnovers, as we know, are very sporadic year over year. I think the Eagles are plus 12 right now. They're like eight turnover margin ahead of everyone else. It's like, how are the Eagles at six and oh? Probably because they are plus 12 in the turnover margin. And that's why their defense is top two in the league because they are, I think the next closest team is the Vikings at plus four on the turnover margin. So Vikings are very much a turnover dependent defense. Those things don't carry over because turnovers can be sporadic game to game and season to season. The best comparison I can give you, and again, this might change as the season goes along, but I feel pretty confident in saying the Minnesota Vikings are last year's Cowboys. Think of that in your mind. Everything you thought about the Cowboys going into the playoffs last year and the last five weeks of the season, that's what this Minnesota team is. It is a team that is going to win their division more probably than not. They're going to have a two, three, four seed in the playoff, and they're in that second tier of teams. I don't know exactly who makes up the first tier other than the Eagles in the NFC, but it's all about matchup in the playoffs for Minnesota. I mean, the Cowboys could have, should have, would have beat the Niners last year, but the Cowboys were a team that was favored against the Niners, but wasn't really trusted against the Niners. And obviously they lost in a close game. Vikings are one of those teams that's going to host a playoff game. If they play Green Bay, they might be a favorite. If they play Tampa, they might be an underdog. If they play the Giants, they might be seven point favorites. It all depends on matchup once they get to the playoffs because like last year's Cowboys, they are I, incredibly turnover dependent and have a top 10 offense. I, I can agree with that because I think if they can avoid a more physical matchup or a more physical set of matchups in the playoffs, because the reason I think that they were able to win that week one game against the Packers is to put it blunt with the Packers, I look at the Packers and think of a kind of a soft team. I mean, they're, they're, they're just not a physical team. And that's why the Niners have been able to abuse them in the playoffs in recent history, whether it be the Harbaugh administration or whatever's what they've managed to put together with Kyle Shanahan, D'Amico Ryan's Robert Sala, all those cogs on their defense. If the Vikings were to run into a team like the Niners, assuming full strength, assuming the Niners have their guys back, I think that's a problematic matchup for them because we saw that in the Monday night game against the Philadelphia Eagles. We know at this point that the Philadelphia Eagles defense, they're nasty. They'll get after you. That defensive line is one of the biggest strengths of that team. And that's what was a big problem for them whenever they were playing against the Vikings. And then add in, of course, that they have big play Darius Slate on the outside as well, who was blanketing Justin Jefferson. Those are the type of matchups that could pose threats to the Vikings and their hopes of making a potential Super Bowl this year. You look around the NFC, who else is going to kind of potentially challenge them? Even like a Giants team isn't completely out of the question to pose problems for Vikings because what the Giants do well, right? Run the ball, aggressive defense, can force a turnover. Those are all kind of like things that could hurt like a Vikings team. So it, it's just really what the pathway to the championship is. And luckily for them, and we'll see how this plays out with like the Eagles as well. But luckily for them, they do play in this NFC North where they've proven that they could beat the other tough team in the division, the Packers, and they should be able to beat the Vikings and Lions respectively. So similar to what the Green Bay Packers have been able to do, they might be able to get the number one seed potentially this year. That's still well within a range of outcomes for the Vikings as the Eagles will have a tougher test to get there because of obviously improving division around them. And I think the Eagles schedule is slightly tougher 
uh, towards the end of the year. So I, I think the Eagle, the Vikings, the best thing that they can hope for obviously is wrapping up the number one seed. If they were able to do that, that might change completely how you look at this team going into the playoffs. It, it's just, again, can they avoid the letdown performances, which we know kind of are one of the big things that we associate with the Vikings and why we kind of delegitimize them as a playoff contender because of past seasons, what we've seen with this team. I would love to watch them play the Rams in the playoffs. I would love to watch that matchup. And that might be a 7-2 or a 6-3. I mean, basically, if you want to do dumb, like NFC playoffs for dummies, I will ask everyone right now. You can only have one of these teams make the playoffs, the Giants or the Rams. One te- Only one can make it. Who's going to make it between those two? Okay, but here's the thing. It's not as cut and dry as that for me because if the Giants get to 6-1 this week facing Jacksonville, and the Rams, luckily they're on bye week, so the Rams don't have to worry about it. But the Rams come back and they face the Niners, the team they struggle with. They drop to three and four after that. And suddenly the Rams just might be screwed yeah, out of it by their totally early season fair. results. Meanwhile, yeah. the Giants get to be in cruise control rest of the year because of what they've done in the early part of the season. Six and one, I mean, at a certain point, it just becomes harder to screw that up and not make the playoffs. The reason I say that is because I, I think six of the NFC playoff teams are set at this point. It's the Eagles, it's Dallas, it's San Francisco, it's Tampa, it's the Vikings, and it is, who am I forgetting? Dallas, Green, oh, Green Bay. Green Bay is also probably going to make the playoffs. I know Green Bay has had a tough start to the season, but Green Bay is probably going to make the playoffs. And I think it's interesting to see how that plays out because all of those uh, five teams that I mentioned, and then pick your poison, Giants, Rams, maybe Cardinals turn it around, but that's a another video that we released on the channel but basically i would say that all of those matchups propose unique and different situations for what the vikings do because their offense is the rams except dalvin cook is a capable running back and the rams running game is shit so basically like they are an incredibly capable offense that passing wise is very dependent on what justin jefferson does and Kirk cousins's connection with justin jefferson so that's a really they they have jefferson as like a 35 to 38 percent usage rate which which I think Cooper Cup is sitting around. Cooper Cup's by far the highest in the league at like 44%. So that's what they want to do on offense. And their, their defense is not actually as good as the numbers suggest. They're just really good at forcing turnovers. And that's what helped them beat the Lions. It, it kept them in the game a couple weeks ago. And uh, it was interesting because um, in, in this last game, the Dolphins outgained the Vikings two to one. The Dolphins had twice as many yards of offense as the Minnesota Vikings, and the Vikings won that game kind of running away. So that's kind of a testament to like turnovers end up flipping the game 10 to 12 points at certain situations. So again, playoff matchup will be so interesting to watch for the Vikings. And I'm with you. Number one seed isn't out of the question and something that they should probably value a lot. So currently they are four and O in one possession games. So that is something that, again, have, hasn't went the Vikings' way in the past. And that's mm-hmm. been one of the big reasons why they've struggled to make the playoffs or be able to be certainly a contender even in their own division. As long as that maintains, I think that the Viking thing isn't an aberration, and it is something that legitimately go into this NFC playoff. They will be a team, given their offensive weapons, can pose problems for any team that's hoping to make the Super Bowl this year. 